Hey everyone, it's Evelyn. Thank you so much for listening again to another Life Over Matter podcast episode. I actually have something really cool in store for this episode. As you guys know, I have devoted this podcast uh, to bettering my, my own life and taking everybody on the journey with me to better yourselves as well. For anybody who wants to listen at any given point in time, and um, if you listen to the beginning episodes in season one, uh, which was last year, it started out as a uh, New Year's resolution. And then I had taken a look at all of the resolutions that I had done throughout the year, not just for New Year's. And I was running out of uh, ideas on ones that everybody else always adapts to. And if anybody who's been listening to this for a while or knows me personally, I, n- I like to be a little bit different. I uh, don't like to strum to the same uh, beat of the drum as everybody else does in life in general. So I put all these ideas that I had of bucket list items that I wanted to do to polish my character. And that's where this uh, podcast essentially comes from. So if you're new to the podcast, that's what you're listening to. And uh, I try to do different exercises and things like that, but a lot of it is lessons that I've learned, lessons that I'm currently learning, or lessons that I am looking to learn in the future. And I uh, try to be cognizant of everybody's time because I know that not a whole lot of people have hours and hours and hours and hours to sit and listen to um, episode after episode, unless of course you're traveling or something like that. Um, However, I do have some people that binge and then they tell me what they think as the everything starts to develop and um in the first season i went through and i numbered all of the all of the episodes and i talked about what number they were in this season something that i had done was i took a lot of feedback that i had gotten on where to place the commercials and the subject matter and you know what people thought was most interesting and i get uh demographical data it doesn't give me specifics, but I get demographical data on uh, the the common age that everybody is, the, the countries that listen to it the most, and things of that nature. So it kind of gears me in the direction of what people are really relating to that I'm talking about, which is super cool. Uh, and when I know that it's the Saturday episode, which is going to be this one, and I'm allowed to, to, to record them out, which is also really cool. And I have two different areas that I record from, which is awesome. It is a little bit different of a podcast because a lot of people do interviews in every single episode, and that's not the the journey that I'm on. So I do them when I can do them, and I've done some really awesome interviews uh, on the podcast, but they're slim, far, and few in between. And I've got a lot of people in line that want to, uh, and they'll be coming in the future, I'm sure. Uh, It's just with the onset of the pandemic and everything that was going on and all the craziness and, you know, all of the jobs and the priorities and multitasking and all of the things that life has to hand you, it gets chaotic once in a while. So just trying to organize it all up and, you know, share as much as I can last episode if you're listening to these in a row I talked about a presentation that I did that I did not do good on and then I had to like sit back and kind of look at myself and you know think about how I was going to get back up from it you know because it's it's hard it hurts your self-esteem when that happens and if you've been listening to this for a while you know that that wasn't the first presentation that I did not do good on and so uh you know I also you know, think that it's important to share when we have setbacks and things. A lot of people only want to talk about the great all the time, and it's it's good to have balance. At any rate, uh, I also like to break things up a bit and throw a little bit of difference in there, things that we're curious about, things that if you're an open-minded person, it's worth considering. Uh, and I'm very spiritual. I talk about all of my meditations, a lot of them. There's some of them that are just personal to me. Uh, that I do sometimes weekly, uh, definitely the full moon ones. And if you're listening on Saturday and this is 416, there is a full moon tonight. You can bet your bottom dollar that I will be sitting there uh, doing a very heavy meditation, probably this evening, um, the evening that you are listening to this. So um, I listen to the Yoga Institute. It's on uh, YouTube and it is from... I, I believe they're in um, they're in Dubai, I want to say. 
Uh, anyway, it's thousands of people that are doing the same meditation at the same time to the full moon. It's the pink moon, uh, and I highly suggest that you Google that uh, to find out what it means. It's it's all about renewal and, and all of this great energy and stuff. I always put out um, I always put out water, uh, and you know I'm I'm big on energy and grounding and center work and all kinds of stuff in that of that nature. I I have a spiritual room. And uh, I've got all of these different tools uh, just to um, celebrate the, the, the energy that comes from a full moon. So uh, not to go too deep into that because that's not what this episode is about. Um, today, I'm going to be talking to you um, a lot about um, the... Thirty-five essential life lessons that everyone should learn early in life. Um, I'm pretty stoked about it because it kind of goes parallel to everything that I've been talking about this whole time. Um, but you know, I don't want to wrap you know anything up because everything for this podcast is open-ended. There is no right or wrong answer. There's just pumping the positive energy and vibes into everything. And I, I sometimes connect. Uh, the dots as I'm on the um, the presenting of the episode and you know that's kind of what the uh, you know awesomeness is about it is, is as I'm experiencing this light bulb moment so are you while you're listening to it so um, I'm really happy about that that's some really positive feedback that I've gotten over the course of time and um, it's keeping me pumped up to keep it going uh, I've gotten some some interesting uh, revelations from these experiences and I'm really happy that um, it's, it's been so beneficial in terms of learning and, and leadership and my VSG journey. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, and the experiences as a whole, you know, just learning about uh, how, how something as simple as food, something that's essential for survival can be a love language, you know, is just <laughs> incredible to me because, you know, I just thought that I was addicted to food, you know, but then in further research, finding out that something like that is actually a way of showing, um, showing love, you know, and, and those are things that along this path you stumble upon, you learn, um, but also, you know, how to be, how to be a more, um, stand-up leader, you know, and developing the people that I'm leading is really important to my, my career, and, uh, you know, in life, uh, you know, as, and I'm going off on a tangent, and I'll have to go to a commercial break pretty soon, but not being afraid of everything, and I talk about that all the time, too, and I'm not, to be clear, but uh, as, as I get older, you know, things, things start to, to spook me a little bit more than they used to. So just keeping those things in mind, I am uh, going to wrap myself up. I'm a little bit hyper. I've had a lot of coffee today. Uh, I love my coffee. And the more of it that I, uh, the more I, the more that I am I'm conversing with people throughout the day in my job, the more coffee I'm like mindlessly drinking. And then next thing you know i'm a chatty kathy doll so uh, i'm gonna cut myself off and we're gonna go to a break real quick and then afterwards we're gonna talk a little bit more about the three uh the 35 essential life lessons that everybody should learn when they're young okay i'm back thank you so much for listening to that uh, I am going to be talking about some life lessons that you should learn early in life. And I'm, I'm getting this from a website, um, of course, it's called Omar Atani. Uh, it's on, it's a whole bunch of different uh, entries on life growth and learning who you are and going through this journey. And um, so I wanted to, to take some excerpts from this and then I'll include, you know, my own uh, opinions of how this stuff has impacted me and how it's going to be impacting me. I'd like to think that I'm still young. I'm young at heart anyway. Um, so number one is your entire life can change in an instant. So instead of passively taking what you have for granted, be grateful for it and do whatever good you can do with it. I think that if I were reading this backwards, this would be probably the top of my list. Only because I know the difference between having a lot and having nothing. Uh, and having the... The things that I have, 
are so meaningful to me. And no matter what walk of life anybody is from, I can always relate to them, which I think is beneficial. Uh, and if I didn't, I would want that. Like I would want to know what that feels like uh, because of the whole perspective uh, that you gain from it. When I travel and I go to see different cultures and I try to learn as much as I possibly can, I can empathize with someone's situation. And sometimes I cannot believe what I'm looking at or what I'm hearing or um, how I can, I immediately want to jump in and figure out how I can change it for the good. And I think that that is, uh, ad adds a quality to, um, to life, just being able to always be appreciative, always uh, understand uh, the difference between what blessings you have and what everybody else has and why. I don't think that uh, a lot of people understand it. And I think it's really cool. Jim Carrey said something, and I can't believe I'm quoting Jim Carrey. Um, but he said something like, you know, I wish everybody in the world could have a million dollars so that they would realize that money isn't going to be the answer to all of your problems. And, you know, it's it's so neat hearing that from someone who has millions and millions of dollars because, you know, obviously they can't make that wish come true for everybody. But I mean, if you look at like uh, Elon Musk, who wants to buy Twitter right now, you know, uh, he just has this money that, that he's able to do whatever he wants with. But at the end of the day, you know, is he is he really happy or does that money just not mean anything? And, you know, it's just in perspective of taking things for granted, you always want to remain grateful because you never know. You just never know what life will lead you every day, you know, or, or give to you. Number two is it's okay to feel lost sometimes. The truth is that you owe nothing to your younger self, but you owe everything to your present self. Now, I think that this is cool too, uh, because when I was younger, I wasn't afraid of anything. I, I definitely um, sometimes miss my very my very younger self, and then sometimes I'm so glad that I'm not that person anymore, um, but only because I had told myself that if I ever had children someday, which I didn't end up having of my own, um, that I would be, they'd never be able to look at me and say, you don't know what this is like. So when I was younger, I just kind of went ahead and did everything. And, uh, you know, it, it came, you know, a lot of wisdom came from those years. Uh, and a lot of things that as an adult, I'm like, oh, I can't believe that I did that. Um, but then again, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, wow, I'm so glad that I planted those seeds I'm so glad that I learned that. I'm so glad that I went there. I'm so glad that I made those decisions. Uh, so it definitely uh, is, it's okay no matter what age you are to feel like you're lost sometimes. But uh, the truth is, is that you don't owe anything to your younger self because that is your past. You're lucky to take those mental souvenirs with you, um, but you owe everything to your present self. And that is something that, again, it kind of ties in with number one, with not wanting to take anything um, number three is action breeds more clarity than thought. So you can't think your way into a new life. You have to act your way into one. And I am learning about this right now, actually. Um, you can think and wish and dream about things. And you can imagine them. And that is awesome. And you should never let anybody push your dreams down uh, or tell you that you're wrong about something that you're passionate about. Uh, or force you to think a way that is totally natural to think. However, if you want something to happen, nothing is going to happen unless you take action to do so. No matter how spiritual you are or how much you wish something to happen or, you know, where you place your energy or how much you meditate or, you know, how many times you wish upon a star. It's not going to happen unless you take action to do so. And sometimes that's really scary. I can I can't tell you how many things that I've done that have been really, really scary, but have paid off. Uh, and how many things I've done that have been really, really scary, which afterwards I was like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? You know, just being a human being and uh, not knowing the right answer to everything really is unfortunate sometimes. But if you want something to happen, there are all the possibilities in the world for you to get it. You just have to take the action. 
uh, because it will breed more clarity than what you thought possible. Um, you can't think your way into a new life, but you have to act your way into one. And I think that also what that means is, you know, if you don't know, you can fake it till you make it in some circumstances. I can't tell you how many, how many, you know, close calls that I've had with my fear of talking in front of big crowds and getting myself into a pinch or a bind and learning about, you know, money or investing or anything that I have done negotiating oh my goodness in the world of negotiation sometimes you can get your mouth into a pickle for sure um but if you if you kind of fake it until you make it sometimes you can really teach yourself lessons as you go which is awesome uh that's definitely something that i've left a lot behind in my youth and as i am today um you know in my professional life i am a lot more polished and a lot more wise to uh, what comes down the pipeline. So that's definitely something that I would say is a big lesson, uh, is, is the action bringing, breeding more clarity than thought. Uh, the next one is number four, and it is chasing happiness will lead you to misery until you realize that happiness is the way. And it says, a few years ago at a campsite in a music festival, I met a woman in her early 30s who told me that she had yet to find happiness in her life, that she was still chasing and looking for it. And unfortunately, I used to think exactly the same. Perhaps that's because modern society conditions us to believe that happiness is a destination that we arrive at, a promotion that will wash away all of our problems or the freedom we will obtain from leaving a nine to five job. So we now live with this idea, when X happens, I'll be happy. I lived the entirety of the past decade cultivating this toxic mentality and it affected every major decision I made in my life. I was always chasing the next big thing, a constant pursuit of what's next, never truly indulging in the fullness of what I already had right here, right now. Here's what I want you to realize. Happiness is not a paradise island we must go looking for, no. Happiness is a deep-rooted rose of contentment that you carry with you everywhere you go. You're the one who chooses whether or not to water it every morning upon waking up. Your happiness and well-being have nothing to do with how well you think you're doing, how far into the journey you've crossed, or what's coming next. Your happiness and well-being have everything to do with how present, accepting, and content you are with all that is right here, right now. As per the words of Thick Nut Ha, there are there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. If you fail to appreciate this sentiment and continue to chase the big elusive dream of a distant happy future, then you'll never experience the self-worth and contentment that can be found in this very moment. And it doesn't take much to be happy. Practice being present. Write down that you're grateful for what you're grateful for every morning. Be accepting of whatever happens and do something every day that brings joy to your heart. There are things that are easy, simple, and practical, like writing things down on how to become happier. I really like that because it's true. You know, chasing the human way, like just the, the natural way of humans is to always want, want what they can't have. So like if, if you sit and you say, I want $500 and you get $500, then you want $1,000 get a thousand dollars you want two thousand dollars and so forth and it's not just that way with that you get a tv and it's you know 32 inches then you want a 42 inch one then you want a 50 inch you know you you keep chasing happiness and you'll never be satisfied if you realize that what you're in is what makes you happy because it's what you've created for yourself then you're going to be happy more often and i do think that that is a lesson that you learn with age and if you don't know it now, you'll learn it naturally over time. Number five, if you wanna change the trajectory of your life, embrace these rules and apply them. Commitment is what gets you started, consistency is what gets you somewhere, and persistence is what keeps you going. From the years 24 to 28, I only talked about becoming an entrepreneur, but I never did. Why? Because back then, all I did was talk, but never do. So on my 29th birthday, I registered for my first company. I committed to becoming an entrepreneur and that changed the trajectory of my life. 
One year later, on my 30th birthday, I chose to become a writer. I committed to this new vocation, and over the course of that year, I built a system to help me stay consistent. Within 12 months, I published 140 online articles, which took me from zero to over 500,000 views, from zero followers on a medium to over 6,100, and from zero newsletter subscribers to over 1,500. What was my secret? I consistently wrote and published two to three articles per week, even on the days when I didn't feel like writing. I forced myself to show up, sit on the chair, and write. If you change your life around, here's what you must do. Number one, you must commit to one thing. Number two, stay consistent in it. And number three, push through it. Commitment is what gets you started on a new trajectory. Consistency, which is the key to creating long-lasting and sustainable changes in life, is what gets you somewhere. And persistence is what keeps you going in spite of adversity. Very, very cool. If you guys are listening to The Untethered Soul right now, I'm also reading that. Um, it's, it's separate from the podcast, but somewhat connected. If you're listening to me read it, you know why I said that. Um, and, and that's the truth. You you have to commit to what your goals are. You've got to stay consistent in it. And you got to push through it because sometimes the road to your goal is not always, you know, sailing. It's not always super fun. You got to fall sometimes and you've got to learn how to get back up. And, uh, you know, every time though that you do, and this is so underrated and not talked about enough, it makes you so much stronger and so much more confident because you know what that fall feels like and you don't want to do it again. So that's really important. Number six, we break down little by little, day by day, but we also take care of ourselves and build ourselves up little by little, day by day. Why? Because our habits define you, like your habits define you. What you do today is a reflection of who you will become tomorrow. There's a thin line standing between where you are today and where you'll be tomorrow. The hinge that connects the two is the one small habit you repeat every single day. If you lean into bad habits or neglect the good ones, you'll break down little by little, day by day. If you practice good habits, you'll build yourself up little by little, day by day. In my first six months of entrepreneurship, I completely neglected myself. I stopped meditating. I stopped socializing. I stopped exercising. I stopped taking care of myself. The result is sleepless nights of overthinking, constant frustration and worry, emotional turmoil and confusion. You'll be miserable. Fortunately, as soon as I became conscious of the self-sabotaging behavior. I vowed that I will never allow myself to fall this low ever again. Since then, I've incorporated the 10 daily habits and still practice them to this day. They include, among others, a 15-minute daily morning meditation, gratitude journaling, daily stretching and exercising, and intermittent fasting. The reality is that every day, we're faced with new challenges, some bigger and more catastrophic than others. In spite of the emotional wreckage we might find ourselves in, we must look inward to ignite the fortitude that allows us to pick ourselves back up and carry on. How do we do this? We allow our daily rituals to uphold us. Our daily habits and self-care rituals fashion the rhythm upon which our life flows and the direction in which it progresses. Because what you do today is a reflection of who you will become tomorrow want to know where you'll be in a year's time, look at what you're doing today. Do you aspire to be a writer? Well, are you writing today? Do you want to be in the best shape of your life? That's great, but did you exercise today? You become your habits because you are what you repeatedly do. Whatever you want, those day-to-day anchors, habits, and rituals consist of. Do your best and stick with them because breakthroughs don't happen overnight. Transformative breakthroughs happen after the tiny increments of change in your day-to-day life compound into something beautiful over time. And that's so true. You know, if I want to do something, I have to be able to say that I want to do it for the long term. And I have issues with that. I've talked about that before on this podcast, is that that's the reason why I don't have any tattoos. Because I think it's beautiful. I think that it's it's great art. And on everybody else, I think it's really, really cool. But for me, I change my mind a lot. And I have issues with holding my ideas for a really long time. And that is, you know, I couldn't have anything on my body that I couldn't remove. And so, um, you know, I appreciate everybody else's body art. But for me, I would have something tattooed and then, you know, a year from now decide that I didn't like it. And then I would never be able to do anything about it. And I think that I feel that way by a lot of my a lot of my short term goals. My long term goals, I have to decide to commit to those long term goals so that I don't change my mind. And a lot of that is preparation, 
I have to, a lot of time, mentally build a foundation of what I want my goal to be. And then I've got to kind of dangle a little bit of carrot of every single goal that I have. If you do this, the outcome will be this. If you do this, the outcome will be this. If you do this, the outcome will be this. And then I have to strive for it. And then I have to think of a plan B. Anybody who's been listening to this for a long time knows that the first season I talked a lot about plan Bs. If you're planning a vacation, if you're doing your calendar, if you're planning out your appointments, if you're looking at, you know, what you want to do for your job, what you want to do as one of your hobbies. Maybe you also want to, you know, start a podcast or whatever. Then you have to think of what could happen if something goes wrong. What are you going to do if you don't have, you know, the funds to sustain this? And, you know, my end goal eventually is to at some point travel and and learn about different cultures and give back all of the wonderful gifts that I've been given uh, and be able to help different communities and things like that. Um, But it's all the means to that to that goal. Right. And uh, in the meander, I have, you know, this podcast, I have, you know, my my health and, you know, trying to follow all of the instructions on how to eat right and how it's good for my mental, you know, my mentality, Um, my thyroid disease, my diverticulitis, like these are all long-term goals that I have. And sometimes, and I talk about this too, especially with my, with my eating, I fall off the wagon, man. I have a sweet tooth. It's ridiculous. And this is a holiday weekend. I mean, right now, everywhere I go, everything I do, people are holding like chocolate, peanut butter in front of me. And it's, it's my weakness. And I just want to eat everything. And, um, especially when things get stressful, man, it's really, really hard. Um, but I have to keep the end goal in mind and it's, it's a struggle because transformative breakthroughs happen after tiny increments of your day-to-day life compound into something beautiful over time. That's exactly what I have to keep in mind all the time. You know, Evelyn, you have to keep on doing this if you want this outcome. You gotta keep on doing this if you want this outcome. You gotta keep on, and and sometimes I fall off the elevator and I talk about this, <laughs> I talk about this often because my friend Etta can relate. She's my friend from California who also had BSG surgery. All these people partying off of the elevator. You get off, you party with them for a second, but then it's really hard to get back on the elevator to keep going towards your goals. And, you know, it's so funny because we'll talk and she'll say, oh, Ev, I fell off the elevator. And I'll know exactly what she means because, you know, being addicted to food is like being addicted to anything, I'm I'm sure, you know? And people have help for that all over the place. But for us, we've been blessed with this wonderful pool, but it still doesn't mean that in the restaurants, they're not serving our favorite bad foods. And that in the grocery store, there's not a buy one, get one free on the junkiest, baddest food for you ever that's so delicious because your taste buds don't forget what that tastes like. And you have to mentally be strong enough to say, I'm gonna keep walking. I'm, I'm not gonna do this. Or, you know, turn your head at the birthday party when everybody's eating your favorite cake. And sometimes you just go for it. You're like, you know what? I'm a human being, I'm doing this. And then afterwards you just feel this realm of guilt. It's terrible. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's worth it. Like, I just got back from a cruise. On the cruise, totally cheated on the diet, you know? As it was happening, I was thinking to myself, my gosh, I'm going to have to get back on the elevator. I'm going to have to get back on the elevator. I got to do this. And I did. And it was fine. But I allowed myself to enjoy that. And then I felt guilty about allowing myself to enjoy it. So, I mean, it really takes commitment is what that one means. And you have to, you know, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be eating. If there's a career that you want, if there is a group of people that you're trying to influence, if you're running a team, if you're in a development program, or if if you are, you know, if you've got a goal in mind that is a life-changing opportunity for yourself or somebody else, or eventually it could be. A, a lesson to learn early is consistence is gonna be the name of the game. Every day, every day, do something towards your goal. Or if you skip it, get back on the elevator. You know, because there's all these people that don't have to deal with that goal that are partying on every floor on the way up and you can get off and you can party with them sometimes. You got to get back on the elevator. Anyway, number seven, share your progress, not your goals, and you'll always be motivated. Research has proven that the premature praise we receive from sharing our goals in public becomes a substitute for actually achieving them. That's why a lot of people talk about what they want to do, but they never actually end up doing it. And that's why I learned to no longer announce my goals in public. Rather, I work silently behind the scenes and share my progress instead. 
When you track and share your progress, you keep yourself motivated. The tracking allows you to see your evolution unfolding before your eyes. And this sharing allows people to praise you, not on your results, but on your progress. Tracking my progress is one of the three strategies I use to keep myself motivated to write. I've built myself a dashboard to track and measure my progress. I do it for three reasons. Number one, it keeps me motivated and inspires me to keep going. Number two, it helps me to stay disciplined. And number three, it helps me make better decisions because now I have data to work with. So if you want to move the needle, start sharing your progress and stop sharing your goals, start sharing what you're actively doing and stop sharing what you want to be doing. Now, I agree with that, but I also really find that when I listen to someone's pluses, it's awesome. When I hear their minuses, it's also awesome because it makes me feel like I'm not alone. It makes me feel like it is human. It reminds me that as a human, we fall and we have to get ourselves back up. But it also does encourage discipline. It does inspire you to keep going, especially when you're proud of yourself for getting up because some people kind of just slither away. They just say, you know what? This was hard. I'm done. I'm out. And if you get back up and you get back in the game of things, it's really rewarding. And if you're tracking things, if your goal involves tracking anything, the data does help a lot. Um, different uh, that's like a carrot for me. If I've got the data to show where I was, where I'm at, and where I'd like to go, it really helps me in a lot of different ways for a lot of different goals that I have. Number eight, every second you spend comparing your life to somebody else's is a second you spend wasting yours. So stop comparing and create your own definition of success instead. Comparing ourselves to others is one of the most toxic habits that can drastically affect our mental health and emotional well-being. When I first started my entrepreneurial duty journey, I was comparing myself to everyone out there. I would compare my chapter one to someone's chapter 20 without knowing the full extent of their story. In fact, I didn't even know any of the people I would compare myself with. Was there any sense in this? Absolutely not. Did it make me miserable? Yes, it did. The truth is that each one of us is unique. We all have our own story to keep writing and our own paths to keep walking. So instead of comparing yourself with others, Create your own definition of success. As long as you stay true to this definition, you are successful. Part of my definition of success for the past year was to publish two articles per week. I did. Do I consider myself successful? Yes. Who cares if society thinks otherwise? And I guess for me, uh, outside of what I'm reading, uh, you know, two episodes a week for this podcast has been something that, like I said in the beginning, has been absolutely uh, groundbreaking for me because I get to listen back. I get to listen to what other people have to say about my, my topics, uh, whether it's helping them, whether it's making a change. And that's the biggest platform that I wanted. I wanted to be able to get out there and you know, influence others to make the same positive changes in their life that I was making and to learn from my mistakes for others as I was learning from other people who were trying the things that I was talking about in the podcast. And it's been so, so great. You know, when I was younger, I had a business. I had the Wreath Connection business, which was awesome. But I really didn't know that much about running a business. And for that, I, I don't think I did bad, um, but I look back at it now and I see all of the things I did right. I see all the things that I did wrong. Uh, I'm kind of glad that it ended the way that it did because I was a different person back then and I'm not as into all of those things as I am now. I don't know if it's because I kind of burnt myself out from them or if it was because I learned so many hard lessons along the way that it was kind of a, a light bulb experience in its own right because I was like, ah, okay, uh, this is going to work great or this isn't going to work great. But I was able to connect from people from all different countries when I was working in that field. I uh, also got to own my own business, which was really awesome. And it kind of set me up for business management in the future, which was another really great attribute to having that lifestyle for a while. Uh, and I get to tell people what it was like, you know, having your own business and doing your own advertising, your own marketing, and talking to people about how to run their businesses, how to do their marketing. I went on to do Ad Girl Guru, which was an advertising and marketing campaign system that I went to people's office offices and I designed everything that was on their computer and I did all of their 
all of their animations and marketing and I did it for like a quarter of the cost because I just wanted the experience and uh, I came up with so many creative developments along that journey however uh, it was during uh, you know the 2008 financial downfall across the board and it was very difficult to pick myself up from that when I had to move um, and so it, it's it was a life-changing experience I'm glad that it happened um, however, uh, you know, it was a definition of success that was successful for the learning experience, but not for the business as in its entirety. And the other business that came off of that, the Ad Girl Guru business uh, that derived from the Reed Connection, was a wonderful uh, door opening experience. Like it was an entryway to get to the next chapters of my life. And so I think about it very fondly uh, and I'm glad that it happened. Um, so, I mean, I guess it is all what you define as success in general. It could be something that you had put in place a long time ago or it could be something that you decided today. You know, I think that that's, that's wonderful. Number nine. Designing a meaningful life you love is possible, but doing what you love won't make life any easier. It will just make you more disciplined and more joyful. My ideal life is one where I can create more than I can consume and enjoy my quality time with the people I love, tell good stories that inspire positive growth in others, and I'm healthy and financially independent with the freedom to do my creative work wherever I please. That's my definition of success. Over the past two years, every morning I wake up and I'm reminded that designing a meaningful life that I love, where I live it on my own terms and do what I genuinely enjoy, is possible. Why? Because every morning I receive new notifications that remind me of this possibility. The growing number of people who read my articles, the growing number of subscribers to my newsletter, the messages I receive from readers. Visions are possible to achieve and everybody who tells you otherwise is a cynical person who has given up on the abundance of beauty that life has to offer. The truth is, is that people will always project their fears and limited beliefs into you. What you must do is build a shield against the noise so that you can protect yourself from it. And here's the caveat. If you're waiting for someone to give you the green light to get started on designing the life that you want, you'll be waiting forever. Nobody is going to come along and push you into the path of what you desire. You must push yourself. Nobody is going to come along and give you the approval to be yourself. The only approval you need is your own. Yes, you can build yourself a lifestyle where you're doing everything that you love every day. Your first step is to take responsibility for it. Define what makes life worth living for you and then design your life around that. Your second step is to recognize that doing what you love won't make life any easier. In fact, you'll find it more difficult initially to pave your own path. Some days will be hard, really hard. You'll have to work tenfold. You'll doubt yourself, you'll question everything, and yet those are the biggest signs of growth and renewal. Stick with it and see it through. As per the beautiful words of Rumi, let the beauty of what you love be what you do. And that's because there's magic in doing what you love. You'll prioritize it, you'll become more disciplined for it, you'll enjoy the process of working towards it, and once you get it into your flow, it will rarely feel like work. And I tell everybody that all the time. I, I love what I do, and so it never feels like I'm working, unless I don't love what I'm doing, and then it feels like a, you know, I'm really, <laughs> really walking an uphill climb there. But um, most of the time, I love what I do, so it doesn't even, it doesn't even feel like, you know, the day to day is the day to day. I'm going to uh, stop for just a second. So if you hear a hiccup in the editing, I'm going to see if it'll let me connect again. I, uh, I see my bars going down. So I think I'm going to have to wrap this up pretty soon because <laughs> that was Anchor telling me, Evelyn, you're going over time, which is fine. It's fine. I'm still, I'm on number 10. Um, so, uh, and I also, you know, got myself a couple more minutes, so we're good. Uh, number 10 is whether right or wrong, everything you do is born out of a set of beliefs. This implies that self-care is not all roses and chocolates. Self-care is going deep within the surface to all the subconscious behavior and thought patterns that are sabotaging growth. Self-care is not all roses and chocolates. Self-care is looking in the mirror and asking yourself these hard questions. What is weighing me down? What do I need to let go of in order to allow myself to bloom upward? What habits and false ideals don't serve me any longer? What self-limiting beliefs am I holding on to? 
Self-care is realizing that you are your greatest obstacle. And that's one of the greatest lessons that I've learned over the past few years. Your beliefs, your ideals, your habits, and the way you speak to and of yourself, the extent of your self-acceptance, your subconscious behavior, your role and thought patterns, all of these things, if not evaluated and upgraded, will sabotage your progress in life. Today, you subconsciously act in a way to validate old narratives. You've seen how things are done and now you subconsciously think that's the way things can be done. You've criticized and now you subconsciously believe that you're not capable of flourishing. You've been hurt and now you're subconsciously holding on to resentful grudges that do you no good. The reality is, is that every action that you take is born out of a deep-rooted set of beliefs, regardless of whether these beliefs are right or wrong. So if you want to change your self-sabotaging behavior and thus the trajectory of your life, you must first change those inner beliefs. How? You raise your self-awareness so that you can make the subconscious conscious. We can never flourish or experience any positive, sustainable change in our life as long as we keep carrying the entire weight of our baggage with us. Self-care is the active process of learning how to identify these self-sabotaging patterns that weigh us down and then letting them go. Once we let go of what's no longer positively serving us, then we will allow room for what will. And that's true. You know, uh, I had to um, take some, you know, some therapy in order for my, uh, and I talk about this a lot in, in this podcast too. I had to take some therapy in order to get covered for my VSG surgery uh, to make sure that I was serious about, about what I was doing. And in that, I uncovered a bunch of things that I didn't realize were holding me back. Um, you know, one of the things, and I think I might have mentioned this earlier, if I didn't, it's news to you. Uh, one of the things that we uncovered was that I also associated food was my love language and that um, I associated success with food. Um, because every time I had done something good growing up or I had accomplished something, which, you know, was kind of a motivator, um, you know, I, I was taken out to a really nice dinner or I was, you know, bought a cake or, I mean, who's not, right? Or a pizza party or something like that. And it was always to celebrate doing something wonderful. You know, like if I, if I graduated from something or if I was in a, a theatrical production and I did really well, or, you know, I got a really great grade on, a, you know, the finals or, or something like that. And that, that was my, my love language that was handed down to me uh, was if you do this and we're going to celebrate by, by, by having a big party and, and we're going to, you know, celebrate with food and, and everything. And because that was so special to me, then that was one of the factors. But there was a ton of other factors that another time in a place we'll talk about. But uh, that was one of the biggest things. And I was just floored because I never thought about it that way before. And I immediately knew that that was going to be baggage for sweat. You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes right now. Baggage that I was going to have to change the trajectory, right? I was going to have to change the pathway to the end result. And that meant uh, having to associate great things and being able to celebrate great things in different ways. Now, don't get me wrong. On my birthday, I still like having some cake because uh, I'm a cake person. <laughs> I told you I got a sweet tooth. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, but when I have the opportunity to try something different, I like to try something different. There are so many different flavors and opportunities to, to and you know what? I think that healthy foods get a bad, a bad rap, honestly. There's a lot of really good tasting, good for you foods out there. Uh, they just enhance and, and make cheaper all of the bad foods. So it's easy to sway in that direction. But, and also your body craves different flavors too. So I can't blame it all on marketing, but uh, yeah, get me started on this. I'll talk to you forever about it. So I'll go on to, uh, I'll go on to the next one since we bought ourselves some time. If you've got to leave and come back, that's fine. Um, I understand that I'm going over time, but it is Saturday and it's a holiday weekend. So I'm going to allow myself to uh, go to the next level with this. And hopefully you have enough time to listen to the rest of it. Number 11, in the age of speed and acceleration, aim to slow down. When you live slow, you become more mindful and intentional about how you live your life. And you begin to take care of your body, your mind, and your soul so that they can take care of you. So we're now living in an age of speed and acceleration where rhythm of rush can be found all around us. Fast food, fast fashion, fast internet, fast travel, fast money, 
In my early 20s, I also lived in the fast lane after falling for this emotionally wrecking trap of the hurry up life philosophy. It wasn't until over a year ago when I hit an all time low in my life that I decided to slow down. I stopped hustling, I stopped optimizing, I stopped being aimless and mindless, and I started becoming more intentional and mindful. And this approach sits at the core of what it means to live slow. Slow living is a life philosophy. It's a state of mind that you embody in your day-to-day -day living, and it is an antithesis to mindless hustle. It shifts the focus away from speed and efficiency onto the idea that we should do what's most important to us and our growth, and do it as best as we can instead of as fast as possible. It improves attention, it creates stillness, and it develops emotional maturity. Some signs that you're starting to live slow. Number one, you're putting yourself first, which means that you're prioritizing your own emotional and mental well-being before anyone else's, because it's finally dawned on you that you cannot give from what you don't have. Number two, you're becoming more intentional about how you want to live your day-to-day -day life and the kind of lifestyle that you want to lead. So you're not doing more, you're doing less of what doesn't matter so that you can do more of what does. Number three, you're not rushing in the mornings. Instead, you're giving yourself the time to discover how you want to set the tone for the day. So you're creating a self-care plan that works for you and tailors to your needs, rather than this, what society tells you the self-care plan should look like. Number four, you're meditating and reading books to nourish your mind. You're journaling and you're making time to practice hobbies that you love so that you can feed your soul. You're treating your body with the respect it deserves. You're stretched to stay flexible. You move and exercise regularly. You try to eat healthy and wholesome foods, but you also allow yourself the fun of indulging in sweet delights occasionally. Number five, anytime you're faced with a dilemma, you ask yourself this question, does this matter to me? If the answer is yes, you give it your attention. Otherwise, you let it go. Number six, you're saying no more than you're saying yes. You're, pro you're protecting your time and safeguarding your energy. You're not just jumping into things just because they sound cool. You're going back to that question of, does, does this even matter to me? Number seven, you're learning how to design an environment that is conducive to your growth. You're choosing to move away from people with negative energies and closer to the people that uplift you. That's how you're creating more space for wonder and inspiration. Number eight, you're starting to accept that struggle is simply the refusal to accept what is. So now you're teaching yourself how to surrender to the flow of life. You're learning how to trust the process and you're becoming more aware of the benefits of focusing only on what's within your control. Number nine, you're slowing down to become more observant and conscious of the beauty all around you. You're becoming more grateful for all that life has to offer you, the sun in the sky, the soothing sound of the waves kissing the shore, and the comfortable bed that you get to sleep in at night. Number 10, you're creating more than you're consuming. You're realizing that a sense of purpose is rooting in the service of others. So now you're seeking meaningful work that you enjoy and choosing to give it your best effort. Number 11, you're recognizing that the sanctuary is found within you. And the only way to reach it is to be kind to yourself first so that you can then be kind to all other humans around you. Slow living is a way of life that values mindful, intentional decision-making over rapid, intense, and aimless acceleration. So instead of living a life of escapism where you run from what's wrong, slow down so you can see the path that will allow you to walk towards what's right for you. Number 12. Journaling is the most timeless and priceless form of therapy that will help you think clearly, understand yourself better, and make better sense of life. Journaling is simply the act of reflecting and thinking about certain aspects of your life and writing them down. And translating your thoughts into words can have a profound impact on all areas of your life. Writing helps you declutter your mind and better process your emotions, both of which lead to better thinking. You're also 42% more likely to achieve your goals simply by writing them down on a regular basis. I've been following a five-minute intentional journaling exercise every morning for the past year, and it's helped me be more intentional about my day. Once a week for the past seven years, I've been writing a free flow journal entry where I reflect on what's going on in my life and strategize for what's ahead. The truth is, it's only through regular writing that you can develop a deeper level of self-awareness and a better understanding of yourself. So keep a journal as a form of reflective meditation and a medium to tap in and converse with yourself. Write to understand yourself better, write to think better, and write to make sense of life. I do this. I have, and I get, I get teased for it at work all the time, actually. I have 
at least six notebooks uh, every month. And they're always revolving. I carry a calendar, an old school calendar around with me so that I can organize everything that's going on in my life. Uh, and I have a journal for reflection on ideas that I've just presented or I'm going to be presenting. Journals on uh, where I'm at with my healthy lifestyle goals, where I'm at with my leadership development, where I'm at with, um, you know, different lessons that I'm working on. Um, you know, not only am I doing the journaling to help with self-reflection, but I'm doing them to help me keep life organized. I'm doing it to help me kind of square things away a little bit and um, cross things off a to-do list, if you will. I'm reflecting back and channeling, like I'm looking to see the amount of growth. Uh, and I'm also using it as kind of like a vision, not a board, obviously, but a vision, a way to track my visions and um, how well, I'm developing the experience of moving forward. Um, you know, how hard was it to get back up? How hard was it to get back on the elevator? How hard was it to say no? How hard was it to say yes? You know, and kind of just looking at how I've changed. Uh, every day we wake up a different person than we were the day before, which I think is awesome um, because the only thing that's constant is change. And I talk to you guys about that all the time. Um, so, I mean, it's really reflective to keep the journals um, of course, you want they're private to you, they're personal to you. Um, if you're talking about the goals in your life and your feelings, your emotions, those are things that are only for you. However, um, some of the best things that I've ever written, some of the, the best poems, books, uh, things like that were derived from the self-reflection that comes from those journals. So um, I definitely think that wonderful ideas are also born from that creativity and that you should never, ever look in the other direction. I'm old school. I write all of mine by hand, but a lot of people, you know, carry notebooks around as far as like tablets and laptops and are able to write in that way. Self-reflection, it's the key. And I also, you know, I do like I said in the beginning, meditative practices. So anything that comes to me as far as inspired thoughts or ideas, they all get written down, whether they're used or not. Um, and I know a lot of people that do stuff like that too, if they're writing music or if they're coming up with different dialogues for things. It's really important to write down those ideas, even if you just had a dream. You never know, right? Number 13, you grow rich when you seek new experiences, not material things. Material things break. They collect dust. They might even be forgotten over time. Experiences, however, live with you forever. When I look back, I remember the day I went skydiving for the first time. I moved to France, the time I received a standing ovation for a speech I delivered, the trip to Thailand with my brother, the week of silence in Sri Lanka, the thrill of starting up my own business. When I look back, I remember experiences, not things. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. once wrote that a mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its old dimensions. And this is so true. Experiences stretch us because they push us out of our comfort zones and into our growth zones. And as we gather more experiences, we grow, curate memories, build relationships, we evolve and thus grow richer in mind, body, and spirit. So true. Um, I, I knew someone at one point in time who, instead of gifting people material things, would gift them experiences. And at first I thought it was a little cheesy, but then as I grew older, I realized that experiences are, are ways to polish your cultural experience. It is something that you will never forget. It's hands-on learning, no matter if you're going on a vacation and you're in luxury the whole time, or whether you're going to you know, a impoverished community and you're helping out, you're learning, it is shaping you. I mean, even if you don't do anything and you drive through a community, you'll never forget what that community looked like, what it felt like, what it smelled like. And that is so important. And I thought that it was great that that was mentioned in this article because you do um, gain so much from, you gain so much knowledge and experience from traveling. And, you know, if you've ever doubted that, talk to somebody who's from a small town, like where I'm from, uh, and who's never had the opportunity to leave. Um, I have a lot of people that are in my life that never got to leave, uh, you know, the town that I live in now. And, you know, when they get to see snow for the first time or when they get to try something that, you know, is popular up north where I'm from, like French fries and gravy. They're just mind blown at why would anybody want to eat French fries with gravy when really it was one of the, the staples of when I was growing up, something that was so normal. 
Um, but I mean, that's just one of the, the many, many things that are normal to different cultures, you know? And it doesn't have to be in a different country. It could be in your own backyard, but you just have to know to look there and take in the lessons that it learned you. It really is, um, you know, it's formative. It, it brings you to another level whenever you uh, can take in an experience rather than a material thing. Number 14, in today's digital first world, the greatest skill you can leverage is the power focused attention. And the way to build it is through daily meditation. For my 28th birthday, I signed up for a one week silent retreat in Sri Lanka. It was one of the hardest, most beautiful experiences I'd ever had. Difficult because you cannot speak. Beautiful because you finally learn how to create the mental space for peace of mind. I would love to do this. After that retreat, I spent another two weeks traveling solo along the island, a significant portion which was dedicated to writing. By the end of my 21 days, I had rewritten and edited a 100-page book I was working on at the time. That's how I realized that meditation works wonders. Why? Because meditation teaches you how to not be the victim of the mind's wandering thoughts. It trains you on how to take control of your mind's attention and direct it as you please. As I used it to explain to my clients while working at Google, we now live in a digital first world where the average user's attention span is less than five seconds, hence why YouTube video ads are skippable after five seconds. What does that mean? It means that the greatest skill that you can leverage in this moment and into the future is the power of focused attention. Focused attention is your ultimate currency. You can train and compound this attention muscle with daily practice of meditation. I love that. I think it's super cool. Number 15, the equation to financial wealth is quite simple. Learn how to manage your money, master a skill set that will make you valuable, and create more than you consume. Mike Tyson earned approximately $300 million during the height of his boxing career, yet he lost all his money and was $23 million in debt when he filed for bankruptcy in 2003. Allen Iverson, once an NBA MVP, made a total of $154 million during his playing career and almost went broke after retirement. Throughout my 20s, I was in debt three times. What do all three of us have in common? We learned how to manage our money. Look, everyone shares the motivation to make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what's the point in acquiring more money if the sabotaging issue with our inability to manage it? The first step to financial wealth, then, is to fix our relationship with money and build better habits so we can better manage it. You build the foundational skills to manage a five-figure income when they become transferable to a seven-figure income. At the end of the day, money comes and goes. It arrives in the form of income and leaves in the form of expenses. Your income is what you earn from the work you produce and your expenses increase as you continue to consume. So in a nutshell, the more you produce or create, the less you consume, the more wealth you'll create. The question is, how can you create more money when you only have one source of income? How do you quadruple your production or creation? And the answer is you master a skill set that makes you valuable. You think a craftsman, you think like a craftsman and become one of the best at what you do. Why? Because that opens the doors to more creation, which opens the door to more income streams. You can now teach others what you know. You can prodicize your knowledge and yourself. The equation of financial wealth is quite simple. Number one, learn how to manage your money, fix your relationship with money, and build the foundational skills that will become transferable. Number two, master a skill set that will make you valuable. Think like a craftsman and become so valuable to a certain skill set that people will be so willing to pay and learn from you. And number three, create more than you consume. Cutting expenses saves you money, but creating more income streams makes you money. And how you build more income streams? You create products that provide added value to the market. How? You leverage the skill set that you have mastered, and then you see how it all connects. That's awesome. I've talked a million times in this, in this podcast about investment opportunities and ideas and how to look into, you know, financial assets and looking into stocks. And I have, um, you know, different random, what I've called Easter eggs throughout the podcast on different lessons that I've learned along the way, um, you know, fulfillment programs, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, these three items that are, are listed here are fantastic. Manage your money, master a skill set that makes you valuable and create more than you can Number three really hits me because, you know, you do start consuming more as you start, you know, bringing more in. 
And if you learn, which is something that I learned a couple years ago, if you learn how to curb that, then you can capitalize on it. But if you don't learn that lesson and you don't learn how to capitalize on that, then that's when you get yourself into um, the quicksand. So learn how to manage your money, master a skill set that will make you valuable and create more than you consume. Number 16. Your student of life, for life. Your sole objective then is to keep learning, evolving, and expanding your mind. Thousands of years ago, Confucius wrote these words. Real knowledge is to know the extent of one's ignorance. And yet, whether it's rooted in our ego's pride or low self-awareness, we continue to overestimate our abilities to achieve some things, even though we clearly do not have the right skill to attain them. In psychology, this is referred to as the Dunning-Kruger effect, a type of cognitive bias whereby people who are incompetent at something are unable to recognize their own incompetence. I learned this lesson exactly two years ago when I dove headfirst into the world of entrepreneurship, thinking that I knew everything and that it would be a walk in the park. And here was a newsflash, it wasn't. That's when I adopted the new philosophy of Into My Life, that you are a student of life, or life, and I hope you adopt it too. If you do, then your sole objective becomes to keep learning, evolving, and expanding your mind. And how do you do that? You read books and you get busy doing, exploring hobbies and new experiences and uh, taking on different skill sets, becoming the master at one of them. Number 17 is fear is not there to stop you. It's there to show you that you're interested and that you care. So befriend fear, don't fight it. Because once you do something that scares you, it becomes almost insignificantly small the second time around. And that is so true. There have been so many different things that I've tried over the course of the last couple years that I have done intentionally because they've scared me all of a sudden. Things that I did in the past that did not scare me before that all of a sudden because of my knowledge of, you know, being older and, and watching TV and reading articles and just being, you know, in this new world that we live in, it just seems like it's so different than it was when I was younger. And, you know, that gives me fear sometimes, you know, and I, with every passing day, there are new things that happen where I think to myself, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I was just on that bridge. Or I was just walking over there, or, you know, whatever. I, I have a security system and it tells me what's going on in my neighborhood. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that that happened. Um, and, and, and it makes me want to hermit in. And, you know, fear is not there to stop you. It's there to show you that you're interested and that you care. Befriend fear. Don't fight it. I love that. And that's what I've done over the course of the last couple of years. Sometimes it pays off. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, the times, though, that it's paid off have been pivotal uh, to show me that, you know, I can change the way that I think about certain things. And I have that um, that leeway, that flexibility mentally. And, you know, a lot of times if you ignore that that's there or that you're, you know, that's happening, that that is the person that you become. You start to become afraid of everything and you start becoming the person who, you know, gets annoyed easier at things that you never got annoyed at before or you don't, you're not as patient as you used to be. It's not just being afraid of things and conquering fears. It's not what it's about totally. It's, it's more about, you know, developing other as like things, developing different qualities within you that are derived from being afraid of things and conquering those fears, if that makes sense. Number 18, you have to believe in yourself before anyone else does. That's a cornerstone upon which real confidence is built. And that's so true too. Um, you know, you can have an entire room full of people tell, you know, clap for you and tell you that you're amazing. You can have the people that are closest to you in your family tell you that you're wonderful and that you're amazing. But if you don't believe it for some reason in your mind, perhaps something that somebody said to you stuck with you or you're really hard on yourself or you, you have a degree of perfectionism within you, which is something that I, I'm guilty of to an extent. Um, you lack that 100% belief in yourself. And if, as long as you do, you're always going to be questioning your confidence level. And as long as you're questioning your confidence level, other people are going to see that too. If you feel like you look great, you walk into a room, everybody else is going to feel you look great too. But if you think that you don't look nice, walk into a room, you're going to feel like everybody thinks you don't look nice and it's going to show in your confidence level. And it's the same mentally, right? So that's really important. Number 19, nature, laughter, kindness, love, and self-compassion. The best and most beautiful things in life are imperfect and free. Sunsets, a swim in the sea, a walk in nature, walking up to the, the sunrise over the mountains, a minute-long embrace, laughter, kindness, love, self-compassion. 
All of these things are imperfectly beautiful and all of them are great. The question I always wonder is, why do we spend so much of our time, energy, and money seeking temporary pleasure in monetary material when we find eternal meaning in the beauty that exists all around us? You can find solace in nature. You can find love in self-compassion. You can find relief in laughter. And you can find beauty in imperfection. Nature, laughter, kindness, love, and self-compassion. These are the best and most beautiful things in life, and they're totally free. They're imperfect, and that's what makes them perfect. Nature calms you. Laughter has the magic to revive you. And kindness and self-compassion weave the fabric of love into our world. And collectively, they heal wounds. Number 20, failure and, adversary, failure and adversity are the greatest teachers. There's a reason we can only see the light of the stars in the darkest of times. I used to be ashamed to say that I failed. Now I realize that it's a blessing because failure gives you experience and teaches you how not to do things so that the next time you try, you're more inclined to succeed. You have to fail first in order to succeed. Failure is one step closer to the success than not trying. I used to be discouraged by adversity. Now I embrace it because I know that obstacles are not there to keep us out, but to give us a chance to build up the strength, the character, and resilience to break them down. Together, failure and adversity remind us that we must not be negatively affected by our own disappointments. Rather, we must respond to them with positive enthusiasm that would allow us the chance to thrive in spite of them. So when you're finding yourself at a low, please remind yourself that it's only in the darkness that we can see the stars in the sky. Similarly, it's only in the darkness times that we can let the light enter us. That's why those who have been hurt the most have the greatest ability to heal. And healing, as with everything else we control in life, is a choice. We open the gateway to it once we learn how to become more grateful for our struggles and more appreciative of all the little blessings in life and thus a more beautiful being because of them. I think I'm going to wrap up now. I uh, was going to keep going, but I keep thinking about everybody and how, uh, you know, some people are listening to this at work and some people are listening to it on their lunch or you're going to be listening to it, you know, as you sneak away from the family during the holiday dinner on Sunday even. Uh, or maybe you're listening to this on Saturday and you're having your morning coffee and you're finished with it. And you're still listening to me after all this time. At any rate, thank you so much for spending this Saturday morning with me. I, I can't tell you how much it means to me uh, to get my dashboard view and, you know, to see how many of you are listening whenever the episodes come out. It really does give me the fire that keeps things heated for me to come up with the new and innovative ways uh, to take us all to the next level and help us be our best selves. So I hope that you were able to get as much out of this episode as I was. I sure was able to reflect on this. I'm going to go review my journals right after this episode. But please uh, share this with your family and friends if you'd like to. And have a wonderful, amazing Easter holiday. And uh, tune in the next episode which will be on Wednesday and have oh have a great full moon experience tonight uh, I will be thinking of all of you as I am meditating until the next time I hope that you have an amazing morning a wonderful afternoon and a good night